You're listening to the Groundswell Sermon Podcast, a brand new church in the Halton region, Ontario, Canada. Thank you so much. Have I got that on? Am I doing right? The mute's on? Am I on now? Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Darren and Solon team. That was beautiful. That was great. And uh, really appreciate that. Uh, good morning. Nice to see some of you again after last week. If you weren't here last week, I actually started a two-parter and uh if you need information on that, I don't know, you post them online, right? You've got, eventually, yeah, sometime in the next six months or something, I think they, no, I'm not just, uh, anyway, you, so you post them online, so you can just fo- catch up there, and again, what I w- always provide is a sermon sheet to kind of fill in, as I was saying to some last week, that every, when I became a Christian, and way back in 1978, I just started writing every sermon notes for every sermon I ever did, and I, I, pretty well got most of them and uh, in one way, shape, or form or the other. So uh, I always think it's a good idea and a lot of, not everybody uses them and that's fine, but if it helps you to remember or to look it up during the week or kind of refresh your memory, that's a great thing. Or if it helps you to help somebody else, that's great too. So I, I want to talk a little bit this morning about uh, about uh, joining a group and and. It made me think that every fall at the start of the school year, uh, we hear reports of initiation rites at schools. Uh, it's, it's, in, in, it's called hazing, and it's at high schools and colleges and universities, and, and really what it's meant to do is, is bring new members into something, but often in an embarrassing way uh, to be one of the guys or one of the gals or something like that. And, and I've read about sports teams doing it and being disciplined for doing it and, and, and really having to put uh, that, you know, in its place and not be doing that. Now, my kids went to Nelson High. Anybody else have either go to Nelson or have kids in Nelson? No? Okay. Well, that's just on the south part of uh, of Burlington, so uh, that wasn't the kids at, at there, but that's a form of hazing. But what they used to do at Nelson High when my kids in the 80s were, were or in the 90s were in school there, was uh, uh, they'd do something called Gummer Days. Did anybody ever hear of Gummer Days? Gummer, there you go. Well, she taught at Bateman, so uh, they were much more polite at Bateman than, than Nelson, right? But uh, I, my understanding was that some kids ended up coated in mustard and ketchup. And I was always worried that, you know, I, you know, it's okay if it's relish. I don't mind relish, but no mustard and ketchup on my kids. No, but they, didn't, they came home, they were fine. But, you know, that, that was a weird form. Anybody else have initiation rites when they were going to school? Did anybody experience that of some sort? Yes, maybe, no? Okay, well, you got off easy. But the point is that there's, there's, that's not the way we really want to see people join a group. So what are some good ways to join a group? What, what, how should we join a group? I'll give you one that I thought of, just the one. Can we flip to that? Which is we pay to get in a group. So we pay a membership fee w- to join the club. We pay a price. 
So why don't you just call out some other ways? Before I show you any more on the next slide, just call out ways that you can think of to join a group. Just call it out. Don't even have to raise your hand. Just call it out. Buy equipment, okay? I'm sorry? Oh, be in line with their ideals. Cool. Yep. More? There's lots of ways to join a group. Know somebody, okay? What's that? Yeah? Okay, you're thinking more of the group. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is get you to think about how do you join the group? What, what brings you into the How do you get brought into a group? Show up. Show up. <laughs> you've, you've got Brian's southern accent. Yeah, he went south, and you're saying show up, you know. You, maybe you'll play guitar later and do a country song or something. Any other ideas? Be curious. Okay, so those are good. Here's some of the ones I came up with. Let's, here's the, we're invited in. Somebody invites us to join the group, to, to be in their group. We're voted in. So we're, we're voted, the majority of the people in the group want you to be a part of it. We're adopted in. They, they say, okay, we'd like you to be part. So we're, this is how we do it, and we want you to come in. So you're chosen. But remember, with an ad adoption, it's not your choice. It's their choice. We're drafted in. I don't know if, did anybody watch the draft this week for the uh, All-Star Game? So they were drafting people to be on the different teams. But also, we can be forced in. Somebody with more authority or more power can force us. Now, whether that you're, that's a child forced by a parent or, or their school, or whether it's the government, or whether putting a person in a certain, uh, ar in the army or in prison, you're forced to be in that. So there's a variety of ways to be brought into a, a group or a team or a company or a family and once we're brought in, what happens when, when we come in together, we begin to form together. And, and the question is, how can we form a healthy group? No matter what environment we're in, how can we form that healthy group? So I mentioned the draft the other night, and I watched the All-Star yesterday and cheered for... for uh, my Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm a long-suffering Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Yeah, I, I, why am I smiling when I say that, you know? But I, I, I'm old enough to remember when they won the Stanley Cup way back in 1967. It was a long time ago. Anyway, but, you know, it, we, we think in Toronto, who's on our team, the Blue Jays or, or the, uh, the soccer team, Toronto FC or the Maple Leafs or, or the Raptors. And we want them not only to come and join our team, but, but to become a, a, a team that works together to win the big prize. Is this the year? Is this the year any of them are going to win? Oh, a lot of shaking of head. No. Okay, we won't go there. Well, I'm talking about this because this morning I'm going to take us one step beyond where we were last week when we were just, we looked at an overview of 1 Corinthians, just kind of walked through the whole book to see 
what Paul was saying to a church that had a lot of troubles. And you remember I said that they, they had sent a representative with a letter that says these are the issues we're dealing with. But before Paul could even get into those issues, he, he heard from the, the person bringing the, the letter that says, you know, they said there's these issues, but here's the big one. Here's the real issue. And so Paul launches into that right off the bat. So what I showed you from that and, and where we're going is, is talking about becoming God's functional family. And what I'm saying here is that I'm not simply talking about how are we God's family, but how are we God's functional family? And as I mentioned last week, where I'm coming from is from spending the last 12 years, actually it was last 12 years as I, as I, before I retired last February, so starting 13 years ago, uh, when I had finished pastoring in Burlington, I took a year off to write, and then I began a, a, a new part of my uh, ministry, being a transitional pastor. But being a transitional pastor meant often working with churches that were dysfunctional. Not every one of them I would categorize as, as very dysfunctional or dysfunctional, but most of them were. And so I've seen the dark side. I've seen the, the hard side of churches trying to get out of, of, of uh, um, struggles, out of dysfunction, out of, out of a toxic culture in some cases. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians was so helpful. So as, as we just look at the first nine verses, and, and was it Ellie? Ellie, thank you for, that was good reading. Thank you for doing that. We want to just talk this morning about how Paul introduces his letter and sets them up to understand how God wants to make them a functional family. So this is really the first step in forming a functional family. And so I want to talk about what happens when we join God's family. And if I've heard correctly, I think there's some people here who have just recently joined God's family. And, and if you have, if you simply uh, become a new Christian, if you've been born again, if you've been brought into God's family by, by sensing that Jesus is inviting you to, to join his forever family, thank you for becoming part of a wonderful family. And it's a good thing to start off by understanding what God is calling you to in that family. So we've prayed already. I always have it down to pray, but <laughs> we've prayed already. So I want to just go into the first nine verses of this and, and talk about what happens when we join God's family. So let me give you a little background by, by just showing you where Paul is. So Paul's up in Corinth here. I've got this arrow from Jerusalem up to Corinth. And Paul spent time in Corinth on his second missionary journey. He had three, so he didn't get to Corinth till the second one. And if you want to read about it, read Luke, uh, read what Luke wrote in Acts 18, verses 1 to 18. I, I won't read it, but I'll leave you to go back and read that. But I will mention that when Paul was in Corinth, he, he was strongly opposed by people who were there. And, and he was ready to leave because of the strong opposition. But, but Luke wrote this. 
One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I'm with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So it's understandable that when you're not in a good environment, when you're not in a, what you consider as a safe environment, you want to get out of there. And, and he thought, you know, I need to go somewhere where they want to hear about Jesus. And the Lord spoke to him on the vision and said, no, I have people here I want you to reach. And so I want you to stay here. I'll protect you in that time. So Paul is now writing a letter to them years later. He's probably writing it while he's on his third expedition, his third mission journey. And it's probably around uh, 55 AD. He's probably in the, the city of Ephesus. And he's hearing from them, and he's hearing about the problems they're having, that they're struggling with their functionality. And so Paul is very specific in his choice of words. That's one thing as I teach people how, how to study, read and study the Bible, that's what I always say is, you please pay attention to the choice of words because the words are carefully chosen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be the words that they needed to hear and we need to understand those words in their proper context. So I want to show you in, in a few ways how God sets the tone for being in a functional family. And the first thing we want to see is that God calls people into his family to serve him. God calls people into his family to serve him. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and of brother Sosthenes. So Paul introduces this letter and introduces himself by literally saying he is a called apostle. Now why does he do that? He could have just said, hi, it's Paul, and here we go. But he thought it was important to say, I'm a called apostle. Why is that important? Well, we see in the second letter he wrote to them that a lot of people thought he was a fake apostle, that he was an imposter, that, that he wasn't the real thing. He was a false apostle. And why? Well, how many apostles do we know about? There's a special number. Does anybody know? Yeah, the 12. Everybody knows the 12. Who's, number, who's this guy? not a baker's dozen. It's not 13 apostles. There's 12 of them. What's he doing in there? And Paul wants to defend himself. In fact, he does in the second. But he says, I was called by God to serve him. It wasn't my choice, he says. It was God's sovereign call. We can read about in Acts chapter 9, his encounter on the Damascus Road. Paul was going to Damascus as the chief persecutor and by the time he gets to Damascus, he's the chief proclaimer of the gospel. God sent Ananias to Paul, and Ananias didn't want to go and see Paul. Ananias said, oh, I don't want to go see him. He arrests Christians. He kills Christians. And God said, no. He said, this man is, listen, my chosen instrument 
to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God sovereignly chose Paul to be his spokesperson. And this was so important to Paul that we see in Acts 22 and in Acts 26, whenever Paul was in front of uh, leader, other leaders, he told his testimony. He shared his story. He said, God called me. Jesus interrupted me on my mission against him and turned me around and made me a missionary for him. And in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I was an opponent of the gospel, and then I became a proponent of the gospel. Why? Because of God's call on my life. And it's very similar to what we see in, in Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet. If you read Jeremiah chapter 1 in verses 4 and 5, says, the word of Yahweh came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Can God do that? Can God do that? Well, he did it. That's what it means to be sovereign. Because God is sovereign, he can call and choose us to do what he wants us to do. It's ultimately his plan and his choice. So God calls us into his family for his purposes. He doesn't call me into his family for my purposes. He calls me into his family for his purposes. It was true for Paul. It was true for many throughout church history, and I encourage you to read biographies and autobiographies of those in the church throughout history because it's always so interesting to see how God did this. But I'll just use myself as an example. My purpose in life from age five was to be a cartoonist. I hoped to be an animator. Or, and then later, when I went to Sheridan College, an illustrator. And here's a bit of my artwork from back from those days. So I did like book covers and cartoons. Remember, that's from the 70s. That's a long time ago. But I, that's what I did. So I went to Sheridan College to, and came out to be an illustrator and went to work for McGraw-Hill Ryerson in, in Scarborough and uh, ended up running the art department and just saw my whole future in, in illustration and took some more classes in cartooning. And I said, that's who I am and that's what I'm going to be. And then all of a sudden, two Christians showed up. And they talked and I mocked them. And I was awful to them. I was awful. And the worst thing is, they were in my art department and I, I saw them every day. And they loved me, and I, I mocked them, and they loved me. They loved me right into the kingdom. They took me to Rexdale Alliance Church in Toronto. And God said, I'm calling you. And that day, the day I went to Rexdale, March 5th, 1978, I became a Christian that night. God spoke to me and drew me into his family. Now you say, well, Brian, that's great. You're a pastor. God called you. I said, hey, <laughs> he calls everybody. He calls everybody. He calls you. The good news is 
He calls you. And if you respond to that call, he's inviting you to join him in his purposes and to serve him. You know, part of being a functional family is doing our function. Hey, doesn't that make sense? So if my function is preaching or teaching or leading or pastoring, that's the function God gave me. But if it wasn't for those who function as music and worship leaders and administrators and, and uh, helpers and mercy givers, I, I had an elder in one of my churches said, Brian, I'm so glad I have the gift of compassion because you don't. <laughs> I, I think that was supposed to be a compliment. I, I, so I said, I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> because, but I said, no, I don't have the gift of compassion. So that's why I turn to you and say, help me to understand how we should respond compassionately to that person as well. So the first thing I want to say is, God calls us into his family to serve him to function in the way that he enables us. And he talks a little bit later that you all have spiritual gifts, so he says you've, you've got what you need to function, and so that's the first thing. The second thing we want to see is that God calls people in his family to be holy. Excuse me while I have a, a drink of water here. Bad time to choke. <coughs> Sorry. So Paul goes on to write, <laughs> I'm worse now than I was before I had the drink. Yeah, Paul says to, in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be holy, there it is, called to be holy, to go th together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. That went well with uh, one of the songs we did this morning, beautifully chosen. Now, this is an odd description, isn't it? He calls them, he says, you're called to be holy, but in this letter we see people who are committing incest, people who are going to prostitutes. We, we see people who are suing one another, taking them to court. We see people who are, are divorcing their spouses and, and mistreating one another. How can Paul say they're holy? Well, Paul is talking about what God is intending for them to be. He's talking about their position, where they stand in Christ. What does he say? Well, he says positionally, they are sanctified. So positionally, we are sanctified. When you become part of God's family, he declares us holy by virtue of Christ's work on the cross. So we're set apart from sin. Jesus has done the work to bring us into a state of, of holiness before God. So we're allowed into God the Father's presence by virtue of the holiness that Jesus uh, shares with us. But practically, we're called to be holy. We're called to be saints. It's the same thing. We're called to be like him. We're called to progressively become more and more like him. We'll see that in another verse in a little while. But it's, it's that calling that we're brought into. And then he says, 
that we are to join others who call upon the name of Christ. When we call upon the name of Christ, we're calling out for help. We're calling out for him to supply what we need. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about that, that Jesus is, is a high priest who's, who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was, was just a human like us, but he was without sin. So we can approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So if you're in, in a time of need, if you're struggling and you're, you're seeking help, Jesus is the one to come to. And so Paul, interestingly, in his, in his uh, salutation, says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace is a Greek salutation. So as he's speaking to those who are from a Gentile background, he's saying grace to you. Peace is, of course, the Hebrew salutation. We know it as shalom. And so he's saying Greeks and, and Hebrews, he's using those, those as the salutation, but he's also talking about us calling on the name of the Lord and asking for the grace and peace we need, what we mentioned from Hebrews chapter 4, and that God bestows those upon us by grace through Christ. So let's put these two aspects together that we've been talking about. He calls us to serve him. That's the first thing when we come into the family. We have been brought into his family to serve him, but we've been brought into his family to serve him in holiness. So what we are, or what we are to do is to serve the Lord. How we are to do it is in holiness. And these two aspects of our calling fit beautifully together but they also lead us to the third aspect and the one that ties them both together, and that's the third aspect, which is that God calls people into his family to have a relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. So it goes on to say that he has enriched them. He's made them wealthy spiritually. He says in everything, in speech, in knowledge. He says you are spiritually rich through all God has provided for you through Jesus. And he says they are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Verse 7, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So he said, while we're waiting for Christ to return, and they didn't know when Christ was going to return, and we still don't know, but they said, in the meantime, all the spiritual gifts are available to you. You're enriched, you're able to serve him in holiness through your relationship to God and Jesus. And now in verse, eight, or verse 9, he says, God who has called you into fellowship, called you into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. I love the New International Version and many other Bible versions, but that isn't my favorite translation because when I read it in the Greek, it's the other way around. The first thing that Paul says in the Greek is, God is faithful. The most important thing about that sentence is, is not even the calling or the fellowship. They're important. But
But the most important thing is that God is faithful. And in his faithfulness, he has called you and me into a relationship with himself. So think of it this way. In his faithfulness, he reaches out to us and puts us in a relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. We see this further on in the first chapter. We're not going to study it today, but maybe you can read it further on or have somebody preach on it. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 31. Listen, and if you have your Bibles open, read it with me. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. There you are again, being called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, there it is, chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So again, God did not call me or you to himself because of how smart we are. We don't have to get a theological degree or a diploma or, or have, have some kind of IQ or, or be an immense mind. It isn't because of our, our brain power or our intelligence that God called us to himself. It's not because we're influential. It's not because God looks at me and says, oh, I need Brian on my side. Oh, I need him to come and represent me. If, it's, if, if I could only have him, then people would turn to me. No, he didn't call me out of his need for me. He called me out of my need for him. He's calling you or has called you or will call you out of your need for him. I know in 1978 was when I finally admitted that I needed help. I needed help. Without going into too much detail, I was suicidal. And I know I needed help, but I didn't know it was Jesus until I heard the gospel and responded. Romans 8, 28 to 30 says this, For those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. You see, to the Romans, he's giving them a bit more of a process. He says, God chooses and calls. And why does he do that? Well, further on in Romans 8, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to what? According to our purpose? No, according to his purpose. We're called according to his purpose. And those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That conformity to his image is the holiness. So there is the, the purpose here, called to serve, and there is the conformity to the image of Christ called to holiness that he might be the firstborn, the preeminent one among many brothers and sisters. You see how it all ties together? Now, the question has to come up, why is Paul saying all of this right in the beginning of the letter? I don't write too many letters, but when I write letters, they're not very theologically deep in the first nine <laughs> sentences that I give. And yet Paul just dives right in. Why? Well, I don't know for sure, but I think this is the reason. 
I think they've forgotten who they are. And I think they've forgotten how they got to where they are. I think Paul has heard enough from this person who delivered the letter and from the questions they're asking to say, we need to start by reestablishing who you are and why God called you and, and your identity in Christ. Who are you individually and corporately? Then we can build on that. And that is so important. That's why when I do transitioning for churches, I take them back to their mission and their, their vision and their purpose and their values and say, before you can do anything, you better know who you are as a church. And I'll be honest with you, most churches that I've worked with don't know who they are. It's not that they don't want to, they just don't know who they are. And this, in this world of, of different ideologies and beliefs and that, it's easy to be confused. So I want to just finish here with the benefits of understanding. And then I want to turn it over to a question, just like we had last week, give you a question w that you can talk about together, whether we do it in small groups here or together. <clears throat> but I want to look at the benefits of understanding God's calling into our family. I'm going to try this water again. I'm hoping <laughs> this one won't take my throat away totally. Mm. Time to do tea next time, do something warm. So what are the benefits of understanding? Now that I've talked about why he, or how, what happens when we're calling a family, why do we need to know this? Three things. One, first, it's our assurance of a permanent relationship. So verse 8, he said, He, God, who is faithful, will keep you strong to the end. So God calls people into his family to be in a permanent relationship. And I, I used a little bit of super glue there. And the reason I use super glue is I, I have a, uh, I, I'm doing a lot of cooking these days in retirement, and I have a, a pan that kind of, the arm was breaking off. So I thought, well, you know, I need to super glue that on. So I, I got some of that Gorilla Super Glue, and it's worked well other places. But when I went to put it on, I found my finger, that didn't stick, but my fingers stuck together for hours. They were just, I thought, well, it worked, but it didn't work there. So I, what I know is Gorilla Super Glue works much better on flesh than on pot handles. But that's what God intends for us in our relationship to him. Since we live in a sin-sick society in which temptations are around every corner, it's easy for us to blow it. And when we blow it, we go, I haven't been called. This is too hard. I'm going to quit. And that's not what God wants at all. He wants us to have the assurance of permanence. And so that's one of the reasons he wants us to know that we've been called into his family, to the relationship with Jesus in which we can serve him and which we can grow in holiness. We may not be as holy as we need to be, but we can keep growing in that as well. Second of all, it is the reassurance when we stumble because he goes on to say, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, only God can make that possible, I admit, because he forgives sin. You see, I'm not teaching a perfectionism where we will be perfect when we die. 
but I am preaching a gospel of grace where God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for me, and his forgiveness is daily. Sometimes it's hourly because I need it, and he restores us when we fall. So there's the assurance of permanence, there's reassurance when we fall, but there's also the confidence in God who called us. Again, back to what it said, God is faithful who called you into fellowship with his son Jesus. You see, it's not about being self-confident. I've done enough pastoral counseling in my life where people have come and say, Brian, I have no confidence in myself. And I'm saying, you know what? That might be the best place to stay because I'm not here to tell you to have confidence in yourself. I'm here to show you who you can have confidence in. I'm here to help you see that you don't need a super faith, but you do need faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said. And this is about trusting God who is faithful. Faithful to call us and faithful to keep us. So friends, how do we get into God's family? Well, we're called into it. And what happens when we're called? We're brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ a relationship in which he can guide us into service that is pleasing to him and fulfills his purpose, his kingdom's purpose. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things are added on as well. And he can lead us in holiness. He can forgive our sins, but he can develop within us the holiness. He grants us the power of his Holy Spirit to transform us from the people we were into the people he wants us to be. So people can say, I don't recognize you, you're different now. One of the greatest things that happened in my young Christian life was overhearing my mom talk on the phone with somebody. She wasn't a believer in Christ, but and when I first became a Christian, she thought, oh, I've done something wrong. He's, he's gone from an atheist to a nut. And... <laughs> And she was right. Uh, but anyway, but I heard her talking on the phone and I heard her say to somebody, I, I don't know what the, all of this is all about, but he's, he's starting to act so much better. He's starting to do so many better things. And I thought, oh, maybe there is hope for me. Maybe she's seeing something in me that, that I need to see in myself. That's what we're called to. God's choice, God's call in our lives. Community time, question for you. How does knowing we're called for God's purposes and called to be holy help you in your relationship with Jesus? Last week we did this sort of as a, as a whole group, but maybe this week we can break. I don't, I've, I've never done it with you, but how do you just kind of turn your chairs? So why don't you get in whatever kind of, how many in a group? How many do you normally do? Four or five? Four or five? Whatever works. Four, five, six. Just kind of gather your chairs in a group. It's on the screen. How does knowing we're called for God's purposes and to be holy help you in your relationship with the Lord Jesus? I'll give you, I'll give you about eight minutes, and then I'll call you back and ask for a couple of responses. So just turn around and do it. Hello.
And like I said last week, don't one person take up the whole eight minutes. <laughs> just give everybody a, a minute or two to just kind of say really quickly your answer to the question. And then we'll get a couple of responses uh, after that. I see all of you kind of looking at this question going, what did he mean by that? Ooh. Feedback. If, if nothing's coming to your mind from that, and if there's anything you want to discuss about the message, feel free. Just, you know, th this, there won't be a test on this tomorrow morning, okay? <laughs> there will not be, uh, unless you want one. But no, if you want to discuss anything else about the message or say, you know, I'm struggling with this, or the, use the time to be helpful now. Maybe you want to set up a lunch thing, say, let's continue that at lunch. Anyway, talk about what you want to from that. Thank you for listening to the Groundswell podcast. For more info or to support Groundswell, check out www.thegroundswellchurch.com. Grace and peace.